0: And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk and joining me as I have two uh, fascinating guests on the show here for uh, for today. You know, if this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, we're well, welcome. And let me give you a little rundown on how the show works or why it even exists. So, um, you know, I have the opportunity of meeting a lot of cool uh, leaders, A lot of people are talking about and thinking about um, really a lot of the topics that we are focusing on and should be focusing on within our businesses and our lives every day, especially around leadership and company culture. And so I really designed this show. To allow you to listen in on that conversation that I probably would have already had with that person when I met with them and asked them some of the things they were talking about and thinking about and what issues were maybe really on their mind uh, the most for their company and their people. And so instead of us having it there one-on-one, we're having it here in front of you so hopefully you can learn something, hear something that might be important to you, and we'd love to have you uh, ask us questions and be involved in the process as well. Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, you can access it, though. Um, to most people get it on either iTunes or listen to it on iHeartRadio. The last several years, we've had over 10,000 people a day coming in, downloading a podcast, listening to a few, maybe on lunch or on the treadmill, whatever it may be. Big thank you to everyone who's tuning in and enjoying the show. We really appreciate you. If you have a question for one of my guests today or past guests from a past episode, At any time, you can pop on Twitter. You can send us a tweet. Uh, Just send it to peopleg 2 pop in that question. Hopefully there's room at the end. You can add in hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, will actively be watching for that, trying to feed me any live questions of the show. Otherwise, if it's after the show, we'd love to still participate, answer questions, take your guest suggestions, and any other feedback you might have. Uh, We'd love to interact with everyone there. All right, let's get to today's show. I have two uh, guests uh, joining me here today as our normal format uh, dictates. First, we'll have uh, Maria Cordova, the president and founder of Human uh, human Age, excuse me, I don't know why I couldn't say that word, Human Age uh, HR, HR, and uh, Greg Simpson, managing director and uh, agent in engagement. Um, So we'll get to him in the second half, but let's go ahead and uh, bring in Maria. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So is it human age or is it humanage HR?
2: That, it's, a, it's a good question because you know, phonetically it reads human age. It's actually pronounced humanage HR. So just
1: like manage. word human right. and
2: manage all in one word. Yeah.
1: So, you, so you're saying my two guesses were wrong. The third one was correct. That's about right for my <laughs> pronunciations on this show. But why don't you tell everyone what your company does?
2: Yeah, so um, Humanity HR is an HR consulting firm providing HR services to small and mid-sized businesses. A typical in client size includes, you know, from anything from startup to about 100 employees. They also work with larger employers on more strategic projects. Uh, you know, so I support these businesses to implement implement solutions that really assist them in their growth plans and focusing on attracting and retaining clients as well as keeping them, you know, keeping them in line with regulatory compliance. Uh, some of my businesses just need a few hours of advice, and others need ongoing consulting support and more of, of an HR partner. Many of them are too small to actually have a dedicated HR practitioner in-house, and it's sort of an added hat to someone like the controller or the HR I'm sorry, or the office manager who really isn't, it's, it's not their field of expertise, so they need another resource, and that's where I come in.
1: Well, it sounds like um, you have a lot to offer. A lot of companies are all all kind of on the spectrum, and a lot of companies, like you said, aren't really at a point where they can have a full-time person, where they can't afford it, or I maybe mean, they don't have a consistent need. But everybody needs help uh, at some level with uh, all things related to HR, so it sounds like... Um, you guys have found a good niche there. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the culture that you've created within your own company, uh, and what is it that kind of drives it? Yeah, uh, and maybe hopefully drives your own employees.
2: Yeah. So, well, so so at this point, I'm a solo practitioner. I don't have any employees, so to speak to the culture would be a difficult process. But I can tell you that, you know, um, I can tell you about. You know my my core values, which are you know compassion, integrity, and accountability. And I think that um, if you spoke to any any number of my clients, they they would say that that I, I truly operate and uphold those those core values. Uh, and working with my clients, I have strong relationships really with all of them. They they know that when they call this number, they get me. They don't have to worry about talking to a different. Uh, HR rep every time they call. they know who I am, they know I know their business, I know their people. I'm typically very familiar with their management team and have relationships with them. So that's, that's, that's really what, what, what makes.
1: yeah. My so it sounds like you're having an impact then directly on your, your clients cultures. Do you feel like you have much in that area to the opportunity to contribute or do you spending more time on you know logistical and tactical help that they might need?
2: I mean, it really depends. I, I tailor my services to what they need. So, a lot of the smaller businesses just want, you know, just basically say, "Keep us out of trouble." Right? <laughs> California is a tough state to operate in and be a business, and uh, there's a lot of red tape, and there's just a lot of, you know, the navigating those those these, these complex labor laws that are ever changing in the state of California is a difficult process. So, a lot of times, it's 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 helping them with that. And then focusing on looking at their culture. So when you ask about culture, that's a big part of what I also am involved with and with a lot of my clients is taking a look at, you know, what are we doing to develop our employees and and make sure that, the, that we are – that, that we're, we're really driving that process forward and we're making it um, – you know, we're making it a culture that is an engaged culture.
1: Sure. Well, I know one of the things that um, I saw that kind of preparing to have you on the show was an article called Scrap Your Annual Performance Review, which I've been begging people to do for a long time now because I think they suck. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a hot topic that a lot of companies are starting to talk about. There's some different services, some different approaches. I um, mean, was kind of maybe trying to find what's the right fit or thing to do. Maybe if you're not going to do it on an annual basis, what are you going to do instead? So, um, do, you, do you think that the annual review is really a thing of the past, or, or where are we at with that You know, from your perspective?
2: Yeah, this is something I feel really strongly about, actually, and the, those that I've had conversations with will know. I, I, I could just talk about this subject for hours. Uh, I do. I really believe that the traditional annual review process, which typically involves an, uh, some type of a merit or rating system, is definitely a thing of the past. I think that um, you know when, when we conduct these once a year type of reviews that are very subjective, um, especially with 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 rating systems, they they stifle creativity. They really don't serve any any concrete purpose, and they're a complete waste of time and uh, and piles of paperwork. And quite frankly, everybody despises and just. Completely hates them. <laughs> Spoken to a lot of employees and managers and, and leadership teams about about this, and pretty much everybody feels the same way about them. They're just not sure what direction uh, to go. But I did, as I mentioned in my in my article, uh, the merit system that exists today in traditional reviews can be actually traced all the way back to World War One and a process that was used by the military to identify those, you know, poor performers for discharge or transfer, and it's, it's really an outdated process that's out of touch with the needs of employees today, and just a part of a number of processes that will really pull employers out of that competitive playing field that they need to be in. Um, it just, it doesn't treat employees like adults or like value collaborators. Um, it's, it's not working, and, and people are seeing that it's not working in businesses Successful businesses, including large businesses, are, are recognizing that. So we're starting to see a
1: shift. Well, this really goes back to the manage by default. So whatever like, kind of basic thing you learned somewhere along the way, whether it was how your parents you know, parented you or your teachers interacted with you, people often show up to manage and they expect people to do what they say because they said so. Or they do an annual review because that's just what everybody does and it's not necessarily the, the right thing or the best thing. Um, and that comes back into training and that you know, being uh, open to explore different things. So, you know, maybe if, if a company recognizes maybe the annual review isn't working for them and they would like to explore a change, you know, what advice would you have, you know, for those wanting to know how to identify poor performers and still do that HR type of activities? And you know, how do you document that process? How do you find those people? Um, you know, what are some alternatives that you might suggest? You're
2: exactly right. I think people are oftentimes afraid of change and and just continue to do the same thing because that's what they've always done and perhaps people are not really speaking up about what's not working and why it's not working and so they figure, well, it's, it's doing kind of those those, those core requirements that, that we need from a review, right? It's, it's discussing performance, talking about let's, let's look at what you've done this year and, and how you did it and how you need to do better. Uh, and it's documenting that process for, for the company's protection. But there's really m- a much more effective way to do it. And, and in order for companies to really nowadays, you know, remain competitive and relevant, they need to give real time feedback and quickly identify learning and development opportunities for their people. Uh, you know, we humans, we, we thrive on feedback. And now with technology, we, we yearn for more instantaneous feedback. So we you know when we have to wait an entire year to have a focused conversation with our boss about our performance and growth opportunities, it, 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 it can make us anxious. It can make, make us suspicious if we're not hearing anything from them all year round. And, and ultimately, we become less productive. And studies show that we've become less productive. So supervisors really should be having regular check-ins with employees, whether that's monthly or quarterly, whatever works for the business. Everybody's, everybody's business is different, and, and, and goals are set differently. Some goals are monitored monthly. Others are annual or quarterly goals. So, so it really should match the, 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 the business goals. Uh, and, and continuing to give that on-the-spot. Recognition and coaching to their employees is, is really important. Um, these these you know these check-ins they don't have to be two-hour-long meetings because you know supervisors always say, well, oh my gosh, I I can barely even do one annual meeting a year. How am I going to do multiple meetings throughout the year? Well, the answer is it, it becomes easier the more you frequently you meet with employees because then you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening. Um, in fact, these can often be fifteen to thirty-minute check-ins. They don't have to be these, these dreaded formal processes. They could be more of a, a casual, two-way conversation. And managers can still document these ongoing conversations using notes, follow-up emails, um, casual check-in forms. You know, I've created for some of my clients some, some casual check-in forms or verbal counseling. Uh, there's even web and mobile apps for those who, who you know, have a workforce that's, that's you know, more technologically advanced. Or prone to, to using mobile devices, um, that people are are kind of seeing that that route. There's a lot of companies now that are coming out with mobile based apps that people are using for ongoing, continuous um, feedback and performance management. But but if you do it this way, you're able to identify and address struggling employees much faster. In in instead of allowing kind of failure to continue unnecessarily, which we often see with this traditional annual performance review process.
1: Yeah, and I know. And one of the things that people often overlook, I mean, it is important for us to determine if we have employees that are struggling, maybe are in the wrong job, maybe you aren't the right fit. I mean, those are all things that we need to be actively thinking about. But also what we need to be doing is identifying who our top performers are and who's really getting it and who's really doing well, uh, not only so we can uh, reward them and um, find ways to recognize them, but also to think about how it is they're doing their work and how is it they're being successful and what are the traits and what are the processes and what are the ways in which they're being effective because they might be able to give the people who are struggling three or four tips that we hadn't thought about on how to do their work more effectively and make everyone better. Um, and by looking at, you know, kind of putting that focus on what people are doing well. H- have you seen in, in any of your work or any of your clients um, maybe some good cases where people have focused in on what's working as a way to, to kind of drive their companies?
2: Yeah. I mean, with my clients, I mean, we're, we're not just seeing it with the, with, with the big companies. Um, however, I do think it's important to mention that the big companies are making this shift and kind of leading this, leading this change. I'll give you an example with one of my clients, but I, I do want to mention that somebody like GE, right? GE is a big corporation. They have the money to invest in this, this type of change, but they're, they've completely done away. They've reinvented their review process from they, they, they were doing stack ranking to now doing a continuous feedback, and they've created their own mobile app that their supervisors use to, to define goals and have conversations with employees that they call touch points. So you know, GE is doing it. These big companies are doing it, but it is possible for the small to mid-sized client uh, uh, employers to do it as well. And then that's where I have come in and helped some of my clients that are they actually view this as important and want to take that time to invest in, in making a change. And so what I've done is I've I've come in and I've helped them, you know, just sort of revamp this this, this process and implement a, a performance review process that involves training supervisors to talk more about development with their employees and, and give them continuous feedback throughout the year. So one employer that I've worked with recently still, you know, at this point we've, we've changed the process. They were doing only annual reviews and everybody hated it. But I interviewed all the employees and everybody said the same thing. This, this process sucks. We hate it. It's It's demoralizing. Uh, we dread it, and so we, we changed it. And so now, what they do is they still meet with their employees annually to discuss goals and strengths. Uh, but during this meeting, they also empower their employees to create their own personal development plan. So once, the, so the, really, the employee kind of takes a active role in this process. It's not just the supervisor saying, "Let me tell you." I go, how? Let me tell you how good he did. Let me tell you if you were one or five in these areas over the past 12 months. It's more forward-looking and talking about future growth. And the employee really kind of takes about a range and says, okay, I'm going to take the feedback from my supervisor and then create my own personal development plan. But now, that doesn't mean that the supervisor doesn't have goals for, that they set there for their employees as well, because they do. But this is, this is the employee being able to say, you know, I want to take ownership of this process. And then the supervisor's employer then agreed to meet regularly based on the goals set in their personal development plan to help that process move along. And that might be monthly or quarterly, depending on the the personal development plan. And there's a simple one-page form. You know, we're not packing lots of piles of paperwork. It's a one-page form that's used to document these check-ins. And the supervisor also has a global counseling form they can use to document other coaching opportunities outside of that personal development plan throughout the year. They like can do that in real time. It's really, it's very simple. Um, we have to train the supervisors to mm-hmm. continuously recognize employees. Even if it's a simple, hey, you know, thanks for paying the extra time with that customer the other day to resolve that issue. You really you know, we're really see that you embody our core values and you helped them you helped us you help them see what our company is all about, things like that. So it did involve training and, and coaching with the supervisors first. It did involve having them take an active um, role in this change as well, so that the supervisors didn't just feel like this was just you know a change that was just thrown at them. They were a part of this change and a part of
1: embracing. This change Do you think that's that's a good way to really make sure that we're driving? actual change in the for the company um you know is it is involving it, it um it sort of seems like there's a balance between the leadership of saying this is the direction we need to go right and pointing the ship in the right direction but also then allowing people to to decide how big the sails should be right and what color they should be and <clears throat> how often we're gonna we're gonna do all these different things so what do you, what, what's sort of the mix in your mind to make that work
2: I think, whenever possible, we should involve our supervisors in the change as much as possible. You know, solicit the feedback about what's working and what's not working. You know, once that process is developed, as much as we can involve them in developing that process. uh, You know, training them well to really understand why the change is necessary, uh, because we can't really necessarily rely on them to understand why the change is necessary. uh, I've had some supervisors disagree in the beginning and kind of resist the change that then later turn around and come to find that they actually, like, prefer the process. But uh, getting them to understand why the change is necessary and how, you know, the positive outcomes they'll have and how, how they will benefit from this as a result. So, uh, you know, it's it, it a result, we get balanced because supervisors, they, they, there's, there's really no stretch for time, right? Right. They don't see how it's possible initially, for the most part, how they can make the time to regularly meet with employees. But right. once they get, they get to see over time how that actually works and how it works better, and actually saves them time in the long run, they start to embrace that that process. So, so they do. Yes, supervisors need coaching. They need training, too. Um, and they need to be held accountable for ensuring that the process works. Um, so... We should, after implementing a change, should check in with employees to ensure that supervisors are, you know, doing, doing their part and, and hold
1: them accountable to, to doing their part. Emory, yeah, we're having a, just a slight bit of hard time hearing you a little bit sometimes. I'm not sure if your microphone is kind of going in and out from where you're at, but I um, just wanted to, just in case Sorry you can make an that. adjustment on uh, your end.
2: I'm going to try to move uh, around and see if that is it,
1: there we go. a That sounds better. better. Yeah. Okay. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests um, is Is there a book that you're reading right now? And maybe you could tell us about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There is a book that I'm reading. Actually, I just started reading a book um, called Microaggressions in Everyday Life in Race, Gender, and Sexual Orientation. Um, It is about the damaging consequences of, you know, everyday everyday bias, uh, prejudice. And discrimination upon marginalized groups in our society. And, you know, they, you know, they include everyday slights and insults and indignities that are oftentimes made by well-intentioned, you know, moral, decent people, you know, family members, ne- neighbors, coworkers, employers. And I think, you know, this struck me as an important thing for, you know, me. I want to become more aware. And also because in the world of HR, I think diversity and inclusion is a necessary topic. So actually when I finish the book I plan on writing a blog a blog on this because I think it is an important topic um, not only now you know in our in our world and our in our uh, politics and in all of our world it's important for us to to be more aware
1: yeah absolutely sounds like an interesting read that uh, listeners might want to check out appreciate you uh, suggesting that yeah um... You know, uh, you mentioned a lot of great things here today. Um, if there was one thing that somebody heard and they and they remembered, and maybe they forgot everything else, what's that one thing that you want to make sure they remembered and, and took away from our talk here today?
2: You know, I would say that that this this isn't about touchy feely HR tactics, right? That people cringe about. This is about keeping employees engaged and 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 productive. And you know, I think you know now. We're, you know, we're, we're in a digital world with increasing transparency and employees expect a productive, engaging, enjoyable work experience. So uh, we need to stay ahead of the uh, competition. Um, there's talent shortages. Employees are really have more bargaining power, and they're, they're expecting more now. So this, this is about staying ahead of the game just like you would with any other marketing or operations strategy. We need to do that same thing with our people practices.
1: Great. Well, how, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more or working with you over at uh, Humanage HR?
2: They can visit my website at HumanageHR.com or send me an email at Maria at HumanageHR.com. And again, that's spelled uh, H-U-M-A-N-A-G-E-H-R
1: fantastic well maria thank you so much for being on our show today giving us our listeners a lot to think about especially around the topic of annual reviews um hopefully they can use something uh, that we talked about today in their own careers and experience um and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything that you're doing
2: yeah i'd love to thanks for having me it's been fun
1: all right i'm going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with my second guest greg
3: simpson Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. System. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit peopleg2.com or call 800 630 2880. That's 800 630 2880 or peopleg2.com.
1: Well, welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. If you're just uh, joining me, you missed a great interview with uh, Maria Cordova at Humanage HR. Uh, but you can listen to her uh, her little segment there in a couple weeks. We'll be have it up on iTunes and listen to it on iHeartRadio once it's published. You can also go to talenttalkradio.com and listen to any of the shows you've heard uh, here today or in the past. So the last, uh, we'll be doing this for three four years now. There's lots of episodes up there, and i uh, love for you to check them out. All right. Next up, we have uh, Greg Simpson, the Managing Director at Agent of Engagement. As a reminder, you can tweet them a question. Uh, we'll try to feed it to them by sending it to peopleg 2 and include that hashtag talent talk, and we'll try to work it in. But, Greg, uh, thanks for joining me today.
4: Chris, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be talking about employee engagement.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite things uh, to talk about, engagement, culture, leadership, all that stuff. It just... Uh, I like it so much. We have a radio show once a week about it. So you seem like the right guy to be talking to. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, of course, what your company does uh, in engagement?
4: Certainly, Chris. Uh, A little about me. I believe that an engaged workforce is the foundation of organizational success. And whether in a corporate or consulting environment, I've been able to create award-winning workplace experiences that engaged employees at all levels of Fortune 150 companies, such as Accenture, State Farm Insurance companies, Deutsche Bank, and Microsoft. In um, 2013, I founded Agent in Engagement, where we help company leaders provide talented individuals with compelling reasons to join, engage, and stay with their organizations. Our mission is simple, is to help companies and their employees succeed by creating a more meaningful, productive, and engaging workplace experience.
1: So I'm going, to, I'm going to set you up with, a, with an easy question that hopefully you can, you'll give us a fantastic answer to. What is it that's so important about an engaged workforce?
4: That is a huge question, Chris. Let me, um, let me start with talking about where we are currently in terms of employee engagement, according to Gallup. I'm going to tell a little story. Let's say our company is a sailboat, and we have 10 crew members on board. So we're out at sea. And as a captain, you you take a break, you look around your crew, and what do you see? You notice that three people, three of your crew members, are attacking and jibing with all their might. They're the ones that are making sure you're going in the right direction with with your sailboat. Then you notice there are five more that are just kind of sitting there taking in the scenery. They're just enjoying the view. And then you realize that those last two people, well, those last two people threw the anchor in the water while you weren't looking. So we have three groups. We have the engaged, the not engaged, and the actively disengaged. And to put that in impact of the two that threw that anchor in the water, that actively disengaged group alone costs the U.S. economy about half of a trillion dollars in lost productivity each year. Then you add in the lost productivity from the 50% of your employees that aren't engaged or not engaged, and you can see that even a small improvement can result in a huge increase in your company's bottom line. So that's a little background about where we are in terms of employee engagement. With that, let's talk about some of the latest intelligence about the benefits of employee engagement. It is well documented that an engaged workforce results in many, many benefits, such as increased employee retention and lower turnover, reduced absenteeism, increased productivity, increased profitability, better innovation and creativity within the company, better product quality, increased shareholder performance, and it even leads to increased customer satisfaction and retention. There are just so many benefits that it really should be a no-brainer for companies to focus on.
1: Well, and I'm glad you kind of brought in some of those details. You know, uh, sometimes I, we bring up these the Gallup surveys and, and people – I kind of sometimes see their – their eyes glaze over a little bit, right? There's these big numbers, and they, they understand that there's people engaged and not engaged, but they might try to argue, well, but my people aren't that way, right? I, I'm not having two or three actively disengaged. And, of course, usually if you go a little deeper, they they are. <laughs> so it's often exactly. the, the benefits that you're talking about that I think really get people. You know, having right. higher profits, having people... Um, at work more often, right? Missing less work, being actively engaged while they're there and doing their work. Um, you can have someone show up every day and appear to do their work and yet be totally distracted and not into what they're doing at all and really not doing the best job for your company. You're paying them all this money and doing all these things, and if they're not really doing their job well, that, that has a huge impact. Um, are there other maybe more you know specific things that companies might – think about as a direct benefit to them, you know, the the average company, maybe they've got 20 employees, how does does having an engaged workforce, what does that really mean for them?
4: Well, for smaller companies, it's even more important because everyone has multiple roles. You know, the larger you get, the the more defined your role becomes. Um, So for smaller companies, you really have to look at what's that, that you're hiring the right people, first of all. So you have to be very good at figuring out what skills do you need, what abilities do you need? before people even walk in the doors, or before you even put that um, job posting out there. Um, And it also comes down to, you know, what's the culture of your company? What can people expect when they come to work for you? So we're we're talking a lot about employee engagement, but engagement is actually driven by the employee experience. So you can't really engage somebody. You can affect the experience they have and that affects how well they, they impact the company, whether for good reasons or bad reasons. So what are the experiences people have With your company before they even know you exist you know so they find out there's a job opening how do they know about you what's what does your website say does it have a good uh example of what it's really like to work with you what do people say about your company outside what's the hiring process like what's the onboarding process like what happens when you're an actual employee it's kind of a life cycle uh, of engagement you know what happens when you get promoted what happens when you decide to leave the company or you get terminated and then Possibly there may be an alumni group that you can stay, be a part of um, to keep that relationship with the company, even though you're no longer actively act like associated with them. Uh, it's, it's a huge right. a huge question. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not sure that I answered it.
3: No, no,
1: way, you did. But, uh, I mean, you definitely uh, hit it yeah. on the head that I think you're right. Small companies have much more, they can put in less and get out even more. Uh, because they're dealing with maybe 20 people as opposed to 20,000 in a department. To try to change the engagement levels of 20,000 people is going to be far uh, far more difficult than maybe changing it for 20. Um,
4: right, and those smaller yeah, and medium-sized companies, they understand the importance of employee engagement because of that. So they, there's kind of a connection there to I understand why I need this, and that's where a bulk of my work comes from with small and medium-sized companies because they figured it out. Oh, I've got to keep my people engaged so that my business can succeed. And when my business succeeds, my people uh, benefit from that. So it's kind of a, a cycle that uh, that smaller companies get. Bigger companies, it's you know it's the more levels of uh, within the company, the harder it gets to make that connection, and, and so you start to lose some of that that opportunity. I think.
1: And and you know it really has seems to be a big you know push or change or. Maybe it's an, uh, an evolution here of, of engagement and how we work and how uh, company cultures exist and, and, and really the role in, in helping employees be uh, better and engaged. But that's really different than maybe it was 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, do you have any perspective as to why that is? I and mean, we used to just, people went to work whether they liked it or not, they, they got paid well, they had a retirement, they, they, they worked maybe the same company for a very, very long time that was very traditional. Um, and that's really changed, and how we interact with people has also changed. Do you have any ideas, and maybe why that's become so prevalent today?
4: So I do. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you that, and I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second. So I think one of the reasons why employment engagement has become such a huge topic is when it comes to consumerism. Um, we're all consumers, and it's just become very easy to get merchandise, find out information. You know it, it's just easy to do all that stuff and simple and it's really no-brainer and then you come to work and you've got all these processes and this doesn't work together and why do i have to do this and so i think people are just trying to bring their outside world to their to their work experience and that's what's driving employee engagement they want things simple they want it now they want that information now they want to be able to have what they need when they want it all those kind of things now to play devil's advocate i, I think what you said is an interesting question that yes employee engagement is in the news a lot and there are CEOs and company leadership that say that it's among their top three priorities or concerns. But I think the fact is that most companies aren't doing anything about it. Or if they are, they really aren't addressing it in a meaningful way. If you look at statistics from 2012 to 2016, only 3%, there was only a 3% increase in employee engagement. Only 3% over four years, um, even though there's all this talk about it. Um, so I, I think that's what it comes down to. There's just a lot of talk. And to me, that is extremely frustrating. Because we've already talked about the benefits and how, you know, how those benefits are clearly good for the company. And then you have to look at the other side, too. So the company, okay, they've got all this opportunity. What about the employees within that company? So when the company fails to address employee engagement, then that leads basically to the, to the employees of that company not being able to meet their full potential. So it's it, everybody's losing in this situation, um, and that, just, that frustrates me.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know. Is it is a lot of lip service? Is it ineffective programs? Is, is you know, is there some other variable there that's really keeping people from from being fully engaged? And uh, who knows? This is probably a complicated you know nineteen variable equation that we could be looking at. Uh, but you're right. It right. seems like we're not having that kind of progress despite our uh, knowledge and our access to to how important and vital this can be, and, and really the benefits to it. Right. Uh, maybe one of the we can talk about. about it. That, oh, sorry, sorry go, go ahead.
4: I was going to say one of the problems is that people. I think they just it's, it's complicated and it's it's a huge a huge issue to figure out what to do first and how it all works together and it's not a short term fix and I think that just scares people so they tend to do nothing versus trying to jump in and start somewhere small.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you could describe your perfect company uh, with the perfect engaged workforce. You know, all the stars are aligned. What what do you think that looks like?
4: Uh, Chris, I think when you have people involved, there's not going to be anything such as perfect. Um, If the stars were aligned, though, I think uh, the perfect company or perfect situation would be be their partnership between the company and its employees. It would be a place where the company makes an effort to invest in the development and the abilities um, of their employees' careers and networks. And where employees become actively committed to the goals of that organization and and to its ultimate success. So, kind of in a nutshell, it's got to be a, a two way street. The company sets the company benefits, the employees have to benefit, and that that just drives drives engagement that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you're a, a, a blog author and a, and a speaker. What are some of the kind of key topics that uh, you're looking to focus in on?
4: Right, I, I do blog. Um, I like it because it helps me kind of work on my thoughts and, and process those. Um, my hope is that through the blog that I can help companies and their employees better understand how to create a more engaging workplace. Um, specifically, I like to focus on direct managers because they account for 70% of the variance in employee engagement. So a lot of posts on how to, how to be a better manager, what to do as a manager to better engage your team or to be more engaging for your team. Um, but I don't let the employees off the hook. Um, I think engagement is also an individual responsibility.
1: Yeah, and so how do we get more out of those individuals? How do we get them to provide and, and to, um, you know, really bring that as a part of it? Does it take that leadership in that direction of the, of the company, or do we just need to expect more out of people to, to begin with, so, you, you know, be a part of their goals or be a part of their what, what we expect?
4: Right. Uh, It's a two-way street. I think you need to have higher expectations of your people, and your people need to have higher expectations of their managers and their company leaders. Um, People, companies are the result, the the culture of a company is the result of the leadership um, and what's allowed to happen and what's not allowed to happen, those kind of things. Um, And, you know, it's very, people pick up on that very quickly. Um, So if there's a frustration and they know it's not going to change, they're either going to be just disengaged to just do as little as possible to get by, or they're going to leave. From a personal standpoint, as an individual, I think a lot of people argue, well, my manager's horrible, you know, I, why, why do I even bother? Um, I'm just going to do what I need to do. But I think it's every person's obligation to work on their own engagement. And that can be everything from, well, actually, there's six, six areas I think employees need to look at. They need to look at mindfulness, kind of realizing where they are, what they're trying to get out of the, the role that they're in now. You have to look at your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise. Those all play big roles in how engaged you are and uh, how how productive you can be. Um, Learning, continuous learning, is huge. Um, I think companies can help there as well because uh, people want to learn and and grow in their careers, and sometimes there aren't those opportunities. And if there are, then they don't know about them within their companies. And then really interesting one is that employees have to learn how to disengage, and that's huge in this era of smartphones and always on, is that you need that time away from work to – regenerate and, and re-energize so that when you go back to work you'll be more refreshed and, and can make an even bigger impact
1: yeah we love to have uh, this talk with people in my own company and uh, <clears throat> you know unless there's some real specific reason why i usually will tell people go on va- when you're, they're going on vacation i'll say have a great time and we'll say something to the effect of, "If you're wired, you're fired." And 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 it's, and it's a joke, I and mean, we're not really going to fire them. But you know, we tell them, you know, get off your phones, like, don't check your email, because we we got it, right. we can cover it." <laughs> go and disconnect an article, um, and, and enjoy your enjoy your life, or enjoy your week, or your two weeks, or whatever it is. Right.
4: Right. There was actually an article of the Huffington Post, Arianna Huffington, when people go on vacation, they delete everybody's. They delete all the emails that person gets while they're on vacation. So that when you come wow. back, you don't have an inbox full saying yes. And they put a note there saying, you know, this person's on vacation. I'm not going to be checking it. It will be deleted. If it's important, you know, get back with me when, I'm, when I come back. Or, you know, here's somebody you can talk to right now. But, yeah, so that, that takes that burden off of, you know, knowing when you go on vacation, you've got to come back to thousands of emails. How are you going to get through that? So that anxiety is kind of lifted for those people.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting idea. I I kind of like that one because when I go on vacation and I try to follow my own advice, I usually come back to two to three thousand emails, and I just go right. Ugh. <laughs> right, right.
4: Yeah. yeah. And how but it really to have to engagement. be I mean, you're that all many times on vacation, and you come back to nothing. So yeah.
1: Right. No, that sounds great. Well, uh, you, you talked about uh, you kind of brought up bad managers there a few minutes ago, and uh, I know I had a question about that. Uh, if you look at the Gallup polls, you look at a lot of engagement surveys. Bad managers, bad bosses comes up as you know always one of the top things that causes yeah. people to leave, causes people to be disengaged. And so, what do you think we should do with bad managers or bad leaders? Is it do we train them? Do we do we try to help them? Do we get them to be better, or do we identify them and get them out quickly? What what's sort of the best path do you think for for that?
4: So yes, to all of the above. So let me throw some more statistics at you from Gallup. Gallup actually postulates that one in ten managers should, are in the right role. One in ten should be in that role. One or two more with some training can develop into an effective manager, and, and that's the good news. Unfortunately, that means that 70% of all managers lack the managerial qualities they need to be successful. So that's a lot of people in the wrong roles, and companies just wouldn't be able to move those people out of those roles and, and still be able to function. Um, so it's kind of a, a two-way street. I would hope that people that are in the wrong role um, and managers know when they're in the wrong role because um, they're miserable just as much as their employees are. I would hope that they would find ways to move into another role that's more suited to their skills. And I would really encourage companies to rethink their career progression and the promotion processes. Right now, the American way is the only way up is through management. And not everybody is cut out for management as we learned. And that's what this engagement talk is about. There needs to be some other sort of um, subject matter expert role or some other way that these people who are really good at what they do can continue to progress in the company without having to go into a role that's going to make them miserable, make the company miserable, make their employees miserable, and, and ultimately hurt the bottom line of the company.
1: Well, it's fascinating to hear you say that because I was just having a conversation with someone who um, was recently deployed, uh, worked for us, and was deployed um, for 11 months in the Navy. He's a great guy, and he got a promotion, and he loves what he does. A subject matter expert, like you said, he loves what he does. But now, because of his promotion, he's managing people, and he hates it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And he's probably yep. gonna retire from uh, from the military because of it. Um, which right. is so
4: the military he, loses this great individual contributor because right. they put somebody in the wrong role. because right. he and doesn't want to manage people. Huge, yeah. Right. I think that's a huge thing too. Is a lot of manager or a lot of companies now be saying, oh okay, so I'll just fire all these people that aren't good managers and we'll hire new people. And to me, that is the worst thing you can do from an engagement point from your company to begin with because people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, they just fire all these people for no reason, you know, just because they're bad managers. The company is the one that put them in that role. The company needs to be the one responsible for helping them find another role within the company. It's not just a get rid of these people. There's an obligation there. Um, It's not the person's fault that uh, that they put in the wrong role.
1: Right, right. Are there some ways in which you think companies can, can adequately evaluate their management to determine who's you know doing well, who's not? I mean, it's got to be more than just whether or not the people below them are happy. There must be some other factors as well. Do you have any that you might suggest?
4: I think there are a lot of metrics out there, um, turnover metrics, employee um, engagement surveys that, that companies do that will, will tell you who's really well. What I do, and it's a much more time-consuming process, is – When I meet, when I go into a company, I actually meet with each manager individually. I ask them one question. Tell me about your people. And you can tell the good managers from the bad managers based on their responses to that question. Bad managers really don't know their people. They know some of the basics of what they do in their job, but they don't really have any context around what their strengths, weaknesses, what their outside interests are. No way to know how to, you know, help them get to that next level or even what next level those people want to get to if they do. So, uh, right. if, well,
1: yeah. That's a great insight and hopefully something. That's, that's just one of the little kind of nuggets we love to have on the show that someone can take back and use right away um, right. And, and try to help uh, figure out maybe who's a good manager and who's not, who's working for their company uh, and maybe who's not. So, uh, so one of our I favorite questions is to find out about uh, what you might be reading. Do you have a book that you're reading right now or that you often suggest that people check out? I do. Um, hold
4: on. Let's see. Oh, I just finished it this weekend. Here it is. It's called uh, The Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting for. It's by Jonathan Raymond, and it's really a practical guide about better engaging with your people instead of trying to get them to engage. Um, I've actually rated it as one of my top picks on my 2017 reading list, which I keep out on my agent engagement website. So if you want the link to the book, you can go out there and find that.
1: And can you say the name of the book and the author again?
4: Sure, it's called The Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team Is Waiting For by Jonathan Raymond.
1: Sounds fantastic. Me, well
4: let me let me add one more book in there that I highly sure. recommend. It's called The Day the Crayons Quit by Daywalt and Jeffers. It's actually a children's book, but it's a fantastic allegory for helping managers understand how employees become disengaged.
1: Well, uh, anything that's easy for people to understand is always a good way to start. <laughs> start with agree, simple, yeah. start with basic. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, you've mentioned a lot of cool things here today. Um, you know, if someone was um, not listening very well or maybe slightly um, distracted, or maybe there was just too many good things to so remember all of them, if, if they remember just one, what, what's the one takeaway you think that someone should take away uh, from hearing uh, you talk here today on the show?
4: I think the one thing to take away is that Employee engagement is not easy. It's not a quick fix. It involves a lot of time and energy and dedication um, to your people and to make sure that your company is doing what you need to do for those people.
1: Well, uh, Greg, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, How can people get a hold of you if uh, they want to learn more about uh, Agent in Engagement?
4: Sure. You can learn more about me and read more about employee engagement by visiting the Agent in Engagement website. You can like us on Facebook or you can follow us on Twitter at AGT in engagement.
1: Well, Greg, again, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate all your insights and nuggets that you gave us today. Hopefully we can have you come back and give us some more at a later date uh, uh, back on the show.
4: Thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed it. Would love to come back.
1: All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show today. Hopefully you've gained something that will help your own career in a positive way. Uh, Next week, my guest will be Aaron Schaefer, a partner in the Schaefer Psychology Institute and a part-time faculty member at UC Irvine, Chapman, and Webster University, focusing on change leadership and business process improvement. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.